0: Daylight, darkness, hope, despair, fear, joy, rejection, adoption. Words, when linked together, do not make much sense because they stand in stark contrast to one another. Good Friday is a name with paradoxical implications. How can something be good, yet horrifying in the same moment? It confounds even the most reflective scholar. Jesus died today. He was killed. He was crucified. And no moment like this previously existed. In all the eons of time, there was never a blink of separation between God the Father and God the Son. Never. These hours, this evening, we've come to remember and to reflect with a sobering hush on a perfectly holy God inflicting a perfectly just judgment on His perfectly obedient Son to bring us into a perfect loving relationship with Himself that only He Himself by his amazing mercy and grace, can accomplish. So we ask, how do we do this? How do we remember? How do we adequately reflect? Maybe it would be better to say, how do we reflect with accuracy really what was going on that day? Humans have keen memories on some things, like where we were when significant things occurred in our lives, but most of us could not recall what we had for dinner two Thursdays ago. And we've gathered in this place to do that hard thing, remember. When Christ, with his disciples the night before his crucifixion, with them he shared with them the first Lord's Supper communion. He told them, as they did it in the future, to remember. Remember. And that night, just as tonight, there were various personalities on the scene. One of them, Peter, boldly claimed he would never deny Christ. He would never turn his back. But just in a few short hours, the book of Matthew tells us that not only he, but all of his followers were scattered. Fear and faithlessness drove them. Just as fear and faithless hearts drive us today... To turn our back at times. None of them remember what he said was to be. And none understood all that was transpiring. Just as we sometimes don't have a firm grip on what was going on. Even Peter is fragmented. The scripture says in Luke 22 that he followed at a distance. Does that sound familiar? certainly does to me. Those moments when anything spiritual is dry. Maybe nothing you really want to do. In Jerusalem that Friday, there were people like us. There were busy people. People caring about many things. The crying child, a demanding boss. That lingering illness that just won't go away. It's a place where families and individuals Were broken then just as it is today. Where promises that were made are not kept. There was hunger and there was heartache. There were distractions and there was discontentment. Sin and shame existed in full form. Some of you may know full well what it was like to be in Jerusalem that Good Friday. Because you exist in a place, just as they did, where the regrets of your past... And fear of your future keep you enslaved. And life presses on. It presses in on the living. Just as it did then, as it does today. And Most people who were present in Jerusalem had no idea what was transpiring on this garbage heap outside the city. No one really understood the full ramifications of how sin and sorrow were about to meet their match. Some were close enough to witness the very act, but most, just like us, could not see all that was happening. So here we are, 2,000 years removed from that moment, and thousands of miles, yet we were there if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. We were there to experience a trade that only God could do. We got Christ's innocence. He took our sin. All of it. Yet, yes, even those unnamed things, even those things that only God and we know really about us. We are much more comfortable at a distance dealing with generalities, viewing the cross as silhouettes, as as people as faceless smudges, But distance sometimes will get you denial or indifference, even ignorance of really what's transpiring. But if you come close and if you move up that hill, you will witness an unspeakable gift. And you will move from here tonight with a new memory. A memory of 2 Corinthians 5.21 in sharp relief. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as we move through this time tonight, it is appropriate for some quiet reflection, for some prayer, that God would guide our hearts, that our chains would be loosened, and we would enjoy the freedom that was purchased this day. I'm going to ask you to bow with me now. And let's pray. Father God, we've, we've come to pray. And we come by one name in the character and the perfect work of our Savior, Jesus. We come needy. We come with our baggage. We come with our self-righteousness. We come with our legalistic tendencies. We come with our excuse-making. We come with our sinful actions. We come with our mess. With our mess. We all have it. We come boldly. Because you tell us to come boldly. To the throne of grace. That we might receive exactly what we need. And we're here with a variety of need, with broad wants, but with narrow minds. We're here with fickle appetites and thankless hearts, and we're here as we really are. We're here sinners. Yet your children, adopted by you, sons and daughters of the Most High God, and nothing can separate us from you because now nothing separates you from your son, our crucified and our resurrected Savior. We've come to remember that though the trivial screams for our attention, the essential occurred. You forgave our sins and it was purchased this day. You did what we could not do. You paid our sin debt. And our debt is bigger than we know. We've come to remember. Our darkness is more black than imagined. We've come to remember. Yet your love extends to us. Help us. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us remember. Help us glory. In you alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone.
1: And God's people said, Amen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 18, we read that Pilate, after having stared intently at Jesus and questioning him, found no guilt neither did Herod. And John chapter 19 opens with this loaded, loaded verse. Verse 1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The sinless son of man would have been stripped and his hands tied above his head to a post. When a large Roman soldier, a legionnaire, would step toward Jesus holding a short whip with several heavy strands of leather hung off the handle, weighed down by small balls of lead attached near the ends of each strand. And as he brought down the heavy whip with full force again and again and again, across Jesus' shoulders and back and buttocks and legs and buttocks and back and shoulders and buttocks and legs, up and down, up and down, up and down. The balls of lead would yield large, deep bruises, which would eventually break open by the endless blows the whip cutting through the skin and then cutting deeper into the muscles. Some accounts of flogging said even at times the kidneys would be exposed. And from behind, Jesus no longer looked human. His skin hanging in in long, bloody ribbons of Tissue. We understand the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 and verse 14. His visage was marred more than any man. But the party, as it were, was just getting started. And this party had a guest. It was Jesus, the supposed king of the Jews. Oh, Jesus is a king. You're a king. Well, then certainly any king worth his salt needs a robe. Fetch one of those blankets over there. This is not a robe of of his own. This is not a robe of royal valor. This would be a a blanket, a purple blanket, if you will, that would be used to keep a, a soldier warm or perhaps to drape over the back of a horse. Wrapped around him with the wool clinging to his open wounds. Oh, king of the Jews, any king needs a, surely you need a a crown. And so one of the Romans picked up a a thorn branch from a a pile of firewood and would, would, would braid it into a circle. Never did thorns compose so rich a crown or so painful a crown. Oh, any king needs a a scepter. I mean, you need a scepter. Jesus, you're the king of the Jews. You need a scepter. And unlike these other elements, unlike the the crown of thorns that they pressed on his head, and unlike the, the robe that they put around him, they handed this scepter to the king of kings. And he grabbed it. He reached out. He grabbed it. And no sooner after he grabbed it, did a soldier take the scepter from the hand of the king of kings and beat the crown into his skull as bloody sweat would pour down his face, perhaps temporarily blinding him, his his stinging eyes momentarily taking his mind off the pain in his back. Oh, your majesty, hail, king of the Jews, high and mighty majesty. So when we read, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. This is what our Lord and Savior bore. And then four verses later in verse five, it says So, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and, and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Ecce homo, Latin for behold the man. Here he is. Behold the man. And tonight I would ask you to do that in your mind's eye. Can you do that? Can you, can you behold the man? The son of man. Whose scripture says his appearance was marred beyond human semblance. Take a moment friends it would do you well tonight to behold the man And Jesus takes up his cross and ascends mount Calvary Creator God surrounding by people he created. The creator being mocked by the creation. Walking up a hill he spoke into existence. Where he will be nailed to a cross of wood he created. All for the glory of his father and for sinners like you and like me. And nailed to a cross. Uh, Easier for him to inhale but not quite exhale. He pushes himself up his scarred back scraping against the wood of the cross. He, he pushes himself up to pray aloud with whatever breath he could gather. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in the early afternoon hours on that first Good Friday... The rain falls harder and the clouds blacken. Then Jesus is startled by a foul odor. But it isn't the stench of open wounds. It's something else and it, it crawls inside him. He looks up to his father. His father looks back. But Jesus doesn't recognize these eyes. They pierce the invisible world with fire and darken the visible sky. And Jesus feels dirty. He hangs between earth and heaven filthy with human discharge on the outside and now filled with human wickedness on the inside. And the father speaks son of man why have you sinned against me and heaped scorn on my great glory you are self-sufficient and self-righteous consumed with yourself and puffed up with selfishly ambitions you rob me of my glory And worship what's inside of you instead of looking out to the one who created you. You are a greedy, lazy, gluttonous slanderer and gossip. You are a lying, conceited, ungrateful, cruel adulterer. You practice sexual immorality. You make pornography and fill your mind with vulgarity. You exchange my truth for a lie and worship the creature instead of the creator. And so you are given up to your homosexual passions, dressing immodestly and lusting after what is forbidden. With all your heart, you love perverse pleasure and you hate. Your brother and murder him with the bullets of anger fired from your own heart. You kill babies for your convenience. You oppress the poor and deal slaves and ignore the needy. You persecute my people. You love money and prestige and honor you put on a cloak of outward piety, but inside you are filled with dead men's bones, you hypocrite. You are lukewarm and easily enticed by the world. You covet. And can't have, so you murder. You are filled with envy and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. You blame others for your sin and are too proud to even call it sin. You are never slow to speak. And you have a razor tongue that lashes and cuts with its criticism and sinful Judgment. Your words do not impart grace. Instead, your mouth is a fountain of condemnation and guilt and obscene talk. You are a false prophet leading people astray. You mock your parents. You have no self control. You are a betrayer who stirs up division and factions. You're a drunkard and a thief. You're an anxious coward. You do not trust me. You blaspheme against me. You are an unsubmissive wife, and you are a lazy, disengaged husband. You file for divorce and crush the parable of my love for the church. You're a pimp and a drug dealer. You practice divination and worship demons, and the list of your sins goes on and on and on and on. And I hate these things inside of you. I'm filled with disgust and indignation, for your sin consumes me. Now, Son of Man, drink my cup. And Jesus does. He drinks for hours. He downs every drop of the scalding liquid of God's own hatred of sin. Mingled with his white hot wrath against that sin. This is the father's cup. Omnipotent hatred and anger for the sins of Every generation, past, present, and future. Omnipotent wrath directed at one naked man hanging on a cross. The father treating his son not as his heart's treasure, not as the mirror image of himself, but treating him as if he were you or me. Jesus pushes himself upward and howls to heaven, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's silence and there's separation. Jesus whispers, I'm thirsty, and he sacks, and a merciful centurion. Soaks a sponge in sour wine and lifts it on a reed to Jesus lips. And the sour wine is the sweetest drink he ever tasted. And Jesus pushes himself up up again, scraping once again, and cries, "It is finished, and it is." every sin of every child of God has been laid on Jesus and he drank the cup of God's wrath dry. And it's three o'clock on Friday afternoon. And Jesus finds one more surge of strength. He presses his torn feet against the spikes, straightens his legs, and with one last gasp of breath cries out, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit, and he dies. the merciful centurion sees Jesus' body fall far forward and his head drop low. He thrusts a spear up behind Jesus' ribs, one more piercing for our transgression and water and blood flow out of his broken heart. And in that moment, mountains shake and rocks split, veils tear, and tombs open. And the merciful centurion looks up at the lifeless body of Jesus and is filled with awe and drops to his knees and declares, truly, this man was the son of God. Mission accomplished. Sacrifice accepted. Behold the lamb.